welcome to episode 138 of The Winning Agenda. My name is Jesse Marshall, and joining me tonight is my lovable sidekick, uh, everybody's favourite biroid, Wilfred E. Horrig. How are you, Wilfie? I'm a bit sceptical about that, because I'm not sure if most people even know any other biroids. So doesn't that make it more likely that it's true? Well, yeah, but only by default. I don't know if it really counts. It definitely counts. It's like being somebody's favourite child when you're the only child. I'll have to think about that one for a little bit. Sure. Well, I think you should still enjoy the accolade. Uh, but in, in any case, today we are going to be continuing our very exciting and uh, exhilarating romp through Core 2.0, the revised core set as it is officially known. And today we will be talking about the Corp cards, or as you like to call them, the good guys, Wilfie. Yes, precisely. Very good. Uh, so we will come straight out of the blocks. Uh, for those who tuned into our last episode, which of course is all of you, uh, you will know that we're quickly mentioning the cards that are coming in and going out that we are not particularly fussed about, and then we're spending a little bit more time talking about the cards that we think will have a bit more of an impact on the competitive metagame. What a great idea. Oh, well, I thought so, and so did you, which is why we're doing it. Um, and the first faction is Husbyroid your home faction, and the cards that we're not terribly excited about, we're saying goodbye to Experiential Data and Corporate Troubleshooter, and we're welcoming in Project Ares, Hudson 1.0, and Strongbox with a golf clap, so uh, welcome to them. On the slightly more important side of things, from a competitive perspective, we're losing Accelerated Beta Test, and it's being replaced with Vitruvius. Uh, well, I mean, previously they were obviously both legal, so really, in effect, we're just losing Accelerated Beta Test. What effect do you think that'll have on the metagame, Wilfie? I would say that it's likely to have quite a big effect, given that the fact that HB was the only faction with six three twos at some points during the history of the game, that was has been very important. In other situations, it's not been so important as many HP decks in the past haven't even played the full 6 three, point, uh, 3 for 2s. But I think recently the move has been towards playing all 6 3 for 2s a lot of the time, but I still feel like HP has quite a few good agenda options available to them, just not so much for the fast advance game plan. It just makes Biotic strategies a bit worse and it makes uh, more glacier food coat C strategies or even just never advanced strategies a bit better mm -hmm. and uh, what about ABT the card in particular and it versus Vitruvius which one would you have preferred to see stay so I think ABT is stronger that's pretty safe to say nowadays but it also has a lot more variance than Vitruvius does especially in a world without Jackson I think it's probably reasonable to say that the choice of Vitruvius is a bit safer and a bit more stable compared to Beta Test, which can be worth 10 or 20 credits, sometimes in the game, I've seen it before, and it can also throw three agendas into the bin. Yeah, and for that reason I think I'm a bit sad to see ABT go, I kind of like that little mini game that it presents, there aren't that many cards in the game that do that. Uh, and I kind of thought it was a really nifty way of having a, a benefit on an agenda that also had a bit of a sting in its tail that was a bit of a double-edged sword. So I'm a bit sad to see it go. Um, 
I guess the question I have for you is, do you think that it was a victim of the fact that it didn't have very good art and Vitruvius had better, better art? Is that why they made that decision, do you think? Mm, I'm not sure. As we've said before, art is probably not the main focus of the winning agenda. It's also a bit subjective. So okay. you could go either way, but I will miss beta tests staring at me from my hand. It has been in my hand many times throughout the course of its history. Mm. Would you say it's probably the agenda you've played most in the game? Mm, maybe. It probably competes with NAPD for that mm. title. Well, on that very nostalgic note, uh, we will move on to the next straight swap, which is Engineering the Future for Stronger Together. Now, this is pro- at least as important, probably quite a bit more important, actually, than the ABT Vitruvius swap, because while we're quibbling over a sort of marginal power difference between ABT and Vitruvius, and we've still effectively got a similar effect. Uh, The difference between Engineering the Future and Stronger Together is really as wide as the difference between two IDs can possibly be, and that is probably the best ID in the game and the worst on the corp side. Um, So how do you feel about that change, Wolfie? So I'm in two minds about this change. While I do think that Engineering the Future is well above the power curve for an identity, and it's been either the best or the second or third best HB card or at least definitely the most impactful HB card I'd say since the beginning of the game's history to remove a card that's so critical to the success of the faction is of course the whole point of rotation but it does make me a bit wary given that HP cards were designed primarily for ETF, which is not healthy, I will admit, to have one identity be so much better than the others in regular games of Netrunner, like we've seen CI be good and it's still going to be good, but that was so different to ETF that they're not really comparable. But to have ETF change from being the card which HP is built on to not being there and HP has to use identities which are so much worse makes me a bit sceptical that a regular style HP deck can be good but then again HP has been dominant for the last six months since the printing of Estelle Moon so maybe it won't be as hard as I'm anticipating to find ways to react to that change. Yeah it'll definitely be a big adjustment and the loss of the smooth gameplay that Engineering the Future gives you I think will take a little bit of time for people to adjust to like having to get used to again in an HB deck reaching for credits in the first few turns when throughout the history of the game as you said we've been able to play this identity that smooths out those first few turns for you and means that you're able to get your ice up and rezzed just that little bit earlier than pretty much every other deck um, or every other identity in the format so yeah it's going to require a bit of an adjustment and Likewise, I think my feelings really mimic yours that it's it's sad to see this sort of iconic card leave the format, but that is the point of rotation and I'm excited to see what new and better things are coming up. The next card in the core set that is coming in is Ash, 2X3ZB9CY. Uh, Wilfie, how long have you known Ash and can you give us any inside information on uh, anything about him, really? So... Firstly, I would like to congratulate Ash since they are the only person 
who has won the HB Employee of the Month award more times than me. Their prowess in security is unrivaled. So congratulations. That's very gracious of you. Yeah, I mean, I'm no sole loser, that's for sure. So I will give credit where it's due. So congratulations to Ash on that. But secondly, I think Ash is a really good card to have in the metagame. Firstly, because... Well, firstly of this secondly, so maybe thirdly, because... <laughs> We're going very deep here. Yeah, yeah because defensive <laughs> upgrades are so important to Netrunner and to keeping the balance between corpse strategies even. Defensive upgrades are one of the critical paths that make Glacier-style decks good. Otherwise, it's just far too easy for a runner to get into the server and the rewards are far too weighted in the runner's favor so that's good and ash does that very fairly because it requires you to have a money advantage over the runner which is something that since we've had temujin we haven't really had so much but i'm thinking that maybe rotation will blunt some of those tools on the runner's side not temujin in particular but a lot of other temujin support cards so and we should mention that uh in between the last episode and this one, there's been a leak of a banned and restricted list, which may or may not come to pass, but if it does, then it, rotation probably will include Temujin being gone. Yeah, well, regardless, definitely we know that the runner economy is going to be a lot weaker now than it was mm. pre-rotation, and that makes Ash relatively stronger in a very fair way, I think. And now that Ash's partnering ca- crime Caprice is gone will have to find other ways to make Ash good, but I think Ash is quite versatile, so that won't be hard. And uh, I won't ask you uh, for your opinions on on Caprice or what her performance is like or how many Jinteki Employee of the Month awards she's won. I think we'll save that for another episode. Um, Next card that's coming into the core set on the HB side is Green Level Clearance. Uh, Now this in some ways is almost a Wayland plant since we've still got um, building a better world in the pack and green level clearance is a trans one influence transaction that building a better world decks have sort of played consistently uh, it's also something that I guess is okay in HB but probably hasn't seen as much play um, but now that we haven't got blue level clearance anymore do you think that green level clearance will see a little bit more play in those regular style HB decks or not Yes, yeah, so since green level clearance was good, which I think has been quite a while, we've had two more clearances, or three more clearances, but three two, more clearances, yeah. Two that you can play now, violet and ultraviolet, and as well as IPO, both of which I think, all of which I think are a bit stronger than green level in that sort of role. But as you said, green level is probably most impactful in building a better world because it's one influence so i think that it's a good card to have in the core set it's sort of like the hb beanstalk royalties and if you want that sort of simple economy effect or even just as a new player trying to understand the value of each of the resources in netrunner as netrunner really is a resource-based game then green level is sort of a good stepping stone to that understanding yeah cool uh, that brings us to the end of the Hasbiro changes uh, so well done to you and your colleagues on what I think is a 
very strong list of ins and outs, some really good decisions there, some controversial hard decisions, but all in all, I think some good ones. Uh, so well done. The next faction that we'll move on to is Jinteki, uh, your main rivals. Uh, the cards that are leaving are many, which is kind of good because I think for all of us, when we picked up our core sets, we tried to put together a Jinteki deck and it just flat out sucked. Like, it's so bad. And certainly for the first year or so of the game, Jinteki was very... Probably year and a half, two years, really, until late in the spin cycle in Honor and Profit, it was really hard to play a competitive Jinteki deck that was consistent. So... And at the core of that was a lot of cards in the core set that were probably a little bit misguided in terms of where the game ended up going. You can sort of see that there were some ideas that were tried out, they didn't quite work out, they weren't followed through, and the design evolved in a different direction. And so these cards were sort of left stranded. Um, and no cards more so than Akitaro, Watanabe, and Zaibatsu Loyalty. I think those two particularly stand out at me. Uh, but Cell Portal, Data Mine, Charm, and Precognition are the other ones to leave. And I'm not terribly sad to see any of them go. The two cards that come in in their place, or two of the cards that come in in their place that we're not going to spend a lot of time on, are Whirlpool and Yagura. But the cards we are going to spend a bit more time talking about are the others that come in, and they are Celebrity Gift is the first one, which is a very, very important piece for Jinteki post-rotation. And... Before I saw this revised core set list, I was building Jiteki decks without Celebrity Gifts, and I was a little bit miffed uh, at the lack of economy options. So having this in there certainly lifted my spirits, and I've been enjoying having it in my uh, testing decks so far. What are your thoughts on that, Wolfie? Yeah, so Celebrity Gift is very important for Jinteki in that it's the strongest Jinteki-only economy operation. It's become a bit less vital to Jinteki now that IPO is playable but still it is so important for Jinteki to have strong economy operations for any faction really but Jinteki has been a bit less reliant on assets over the course of the game to some extent and having Celebrity Gift legal does give some power back to those Jinteki decks that aren't so asset-focused. Yeah, very good. The next card that's coming in is Swordsman, which is another sort of quite unique card, or at least when it was printed it was. You know, dealing with AIs, it's really Jinteki's probably best anti-AI option still, uh, although you know, Chiashi obviously has a little bit of game there. Um, but certainly, I think for beginning players, it's a good way to teach them that AIs can be punished in a different way to other icebreakers and that they do have some options now in all factions to deal with these otherwise quite powerful icebreakers. So I'm quite happy to see that in the core set and happy to see it remain in the game. What are your thoughts on that one, Wolfie? Mm-hmm. I agree with that. The next card is a very important one, and it's uh, another three for two agenda. It's Brain Trust. I think we've spoken quite a bit about three for two agendas and how important they are, but Jinteki, without this change would have been down to just one, and that's Philotic Entanglement, so one actual copy of a card in its deck that could be a a three for two. So I think it was really, really important for them to get this other option. Yes, Jinteki does have a lot of the better, larger agendas, Nisei Mark II, Future Perfect, Obokata Protocol, but having the option to play a more fast advanced game uh, using Brain Trust in identities like Tenon, 
Institute uh, and even others, I think is quite important. To at least have that threat in your faction changes the way that runners are forced to play against any Jinteki deck. Yep, I agree entirely. Uh, the next one, so that it doesn't turn out to be the same thing again with me talking and you agreeing, I'm going to throw to you and it's Trick of Light. What are your thoughts on that one? So Trick of Light and Brain Trust should probably be considered together. And Trick of Light is a lot more important now that Jinteki can field sort of a pure, a more pure, fast advanced strategy with the advent of shipment from Tenon. Previously, you sort of didn't have the critical mass required to play a fast advance only deck but now you do to a larger extent. So Trick of Light, I think, is a very interesting card because of the number of ways in which you can use it. You can use it with Tenin, the identity in order to get advancement counters on things. You can advance things naturally. You can even play traps and leave them to be used as Trick of Light batteries in the future, which we haven't seen so much recently, but which has been... A reasonable strategy at definitely at some points in the game and in general trick of light is just quite a versatile card so i'm glad to see it return and i think that it'll be used to enable a lot of jinteki strategies and jinteki plays that wouldn't be available without it yeah i agree absolutely uh ronin is the next one and i'll throw that to you as well uh as someone who's played Ronin at least once. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, multiple times. So I'm glad, as with Trick of Light, Ronin actually goes well with Trick of Light. <gasps> a combo? Yeah, I know. But I, I will say that Ronin, I think, is a very interesting card to have in Jinteki from multiple perspectives. One is that it's a useful card to have in the corset because part of the... F- fun of learning Netrunner and part of the fact that makes Netrunner such an interesting game especially when you're learning is the idea that face down cards can be anything and that when you run you're sort of diving into the open sea and you don't really know if you're going to find treasure or if you're going to be bitten by a shark maybe that analogy sort of uh, went off the rails a little bit but I feel like it makes sense I'm glad you stuck with it. it, it was good Yeah. so I feel like Ronin is a big piece of that puzzle in that it is a card that sort of works like an agenda in that you can advance it as the corp and it gives you a benefit but in a way that's a bit different to an agenda rather than gradually working you towards achieving your game plan of scoring seven points it either wins immediately or doesn't do very much so having the ability to build up to that I think is really interesting, especially from a new player perspective. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also a, a great card in that it's different to all the ambushes, which are the you know advanceable traps that when you run them they and access them, they do something negative to you as the runner. Uh, Ronin is the other side of that coin in that it punishes you for not running it. So I think that's a really important part of new players and, and all players really getting their heads around this, the shell game strategy, but also giving those shell game players something to do with their traps when the runner is being reluctant to run. And I think it just adds another dimension to that mind game of do I play an agenda or do I play a, a, a trap? Um, and then you've got this third category of hostile assets like Ronin, which 
is another option that changes the dynamic of whether the runner should run or not. Um, it's sort of the, the third piece in your scissors, paper, rock, I guess. Um, so it's important to have that sort of thing in the game. Jintech is a faction that should have one, not just uh, contract killer um, or reversed accounts. Uh, I think it's good to have the, the net damage version in Jinteki as well as a, a, something that keeps runners honest and means they can't just ignore remotes in those sort of shell game matchups. Uh, the next card is Hokusai Grid, which is another one that... It's kind of funny because it came out so early in the game I almost considered it to be a sort of core set card. Um, it was another one that always, for me, seems to be on the edge of playability, but it's a bit too easy to cut because it doesn't quite do enough. Um, I wouldn't have been sad to see this one miss the cut, but it is here and it does obviously have quite a good potential to play into those net damage decks. I'm just not quite sure it does enough as a card. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so I sort of feel the same way. I wouldn't have been sad to see it go, but I do think it is an important card now that it, it is important to have a card like that where it's a card that does something to the runner when they run, but being an upgrade, it has a lot more flexibility as to where you put it than an asset in a server does. Like, in that way, it's almost more like an ice, and I think that it's important for the corset to showcase just the depth of design that is possible in Netrunner. So, from that perspective, it is good. Although I agree, it's not the most flashy card to have. Hmm. And speaking of non-flashy cards, Himitsubako is a very run-of-the-mill card, but honestly, it was something that Jinteki was missing in the first corset. Um, and I'm yeah pretty glad to see it there. What are your thoughts on Himitsubako? Yeah, so now that we have Vanilla and we don't have Parasite anymore, I think its competitive playability is a bit reduced, but it is important to have those basic cards that show aspects of the faction's strengths in a way that doesn't necessarily have to be of a tournament power level. Awesome. So that brings us to the end of our Jinteki review. Uh, if you have any thoughts on any of those cards, as always, feel free to chime in and chuck us an email or a message on Facebook. Uh, we'll dive straight into NBN and the cards that we're not particularly that interested in talking about. Bye Bye Matrix Analyzer, a card that was in the very first deck, I, Corp deck I ever built, I think, because I was like, the best fast advanced card, it's so cheap. And then I realized that you can't score on your opponent's turn, and then it got a lot worse in my head. Um, I feel like and... you would have still used it to score, to advance your shadows, you know, just getting slowly and slowly, just having your shadows get slowly more powerful as the game ramps up. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I ever did that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, also coming in that we're not terribly excited about, Flare, which is really a horrible card I would have liked to have seen leave. Uh, Bernice Mai and Too Good To Be True, or TGTBT, the three-for-one agenda. Uh, the cards that we do want to talk about, I think, and possibly alongside Engineering the Future, probably the biggest shake-up on the corp side, possibly the biggest shake-up overall, um, losing Breaking News and Astroscript's pilot program and Sansan. I think the three of them go together. They're the core of what was the most powerful corp strategy for a very long time. Um, and conversely, gaining Beal. What are your thoughts on that shake-up, Wolfie? Yeah, so I think this is FFG really saying, 
okay, MBN's been so good for so long and they've had cards that are so far above the power level of other cards and it's not that they've only gone in one deck, it's in fact the opposite, that they're so strong in a multitude of strategies that they really focus MBN strategies in exclusively ways that are good with them. Like, it's very hard to print a card that doesn't really synergize with breaking news and have it be good in MBN just because playing breaking news in your deck enables you to do so many more powerful things. So I think from that perspective, it's really good to see that shake up and it is interesting that MBN has the fewest cards that leave, equal fewest with HB and Shaper, but the three cards breaking news, Astroscript and Sansan are some of the most impactful cards that are leaving. Yeah, so I mean Astro is a little bit less of a loss because it was already restricted to one per deck and it, you know, had its power had waned significantly. Um, Sansan also we hadn't seen around as much since it was on the MWL but breaking news really is a huge change in terms of how NBN decks can proactively tag because similarly to what I was saying about Ronin and that threat of if you don't run my advanced remote I can do bad things to you breaking news is very analogous to Ronin in that sense whilst also being an agenda Um, but without that uh, capability of having an installable card that you can advance and then turn into tags, I think NBN strategies do get a lot worse, and especially given that NBN ice in the late game is a lot more permeable than the other factions. Uh, it, the faction becomes quite weak to runners that just sort of camp your remote and gain credits. What are your thoughts on that? I would agree with that to some extent, but then again, one of the things that we have to take into account is that now that rotation has been in the pipeline for so long cards have been designed with rotation in mind so i feel confident that a card which has a similar effect but isn't so format warping or faction defining will be released soon cool the other two cards in nbn that we wanted to mention were pop-up window and wraparound and i think it's worth mentioning these two as well because they are very efficient ice that have been consistently played in NBN decks. And since the overall power level of the NBN cards in the core set has been weakened, uh, it's nice to see two of the better ice from the first cycle, um, or the first couple of cycles, come into the core set to bolster NBN a little bit. Uh, But also to bolster the card pool more broadly uh, in a competitive sense. Do you see pop-up window and wraparound making a bit of a comeback now that the overall power level's been lowered a little bit? Yep, definitely. I think these are both ambient staples and are good in a wide range of different decks, so I think they're really good choices to save. Yeah, uh, Pop-Up Window has the additional synergy of Spark Agency uh, being an advertisement, and it's also, I think it was a pretty important economy card for NBN, and now that we've lost Sweeps Week as well, uh, it may be something that NBN NBN decks look to a little bit more, which is making some... Uh, money from the runner's runs again with pop-up window. Yep, exactly. The That brings us to the end of NBN. We sort of um, whizzed over that pretty quickly, but I think you summed up the, the effect of the the key changes really well. Um, the next faction is Wayland, and the cards that we're not terribly sad to see go are Posted Bounty. One of my... One of the cards I was most frustrated with the power level of, I think, (laughs) uh, for a very long time, and I'm not sad to see that one go. Uh, Security Subcontract, 
basically a blank. Uh, aggressive negotiation, also basically a blank. And research station, uh, which you know, saw play in maybe two decks ever. Coming in, more excitingly, uh, Project Atlas, first of all. Uh, we've already covered how important three for twos are. Wayland, without Project Atlas, had zero three for twos. Um, so this is obviously extremely important for Wayland to have any never-advanced threat at all, uh, but also assists with any potential Titan transnational fast-advanced decks. Uh, and in, in general, I think is probably the best of the project cards, probably in a BLR on, on par, but I think Atlas, given the overall slightly lower power level of Wayland cards generally, um, have, and the rather combo-oriented nature of them has played a really key role in the faction. Uh, so how do you feel about Atlas staying in the in the format, Wolfie? So, yeah, I think that the choice on FFG's part to reprint the project cycle was good. I know that Damon has said in the past, when we have had him on the winning agenda, that a 3 for 2 even by itself, even a 3 for 2 that does nothing else is maybe not so far above the power curve as to be printable, but definitely strong enough to... As to be unprintable? Yeah, so definitely not too strong as to be unprintable, but definitely strong enough that it sort of warps the faction around it, and that's sort of been lessened now that there isn't as much of a critical mass of 3 for 2, so I think this is a really good way to solve that problem by not making it so that the game doesn't have any 3 for 2s, but making it so that you just can't play a deck that exclusively fast advances unless you're really willing to spend most, if not all, of your resources doing that as the corp. So that's probably a good thing for the game, and it's an elegant solution to the problem that agendas really don't have that many knobs to turn and a game with all agendas that need to go in remotes starts to look very similar very quickly because from the runner's perspective an agenda in a remote really doesn't look that much different from another agenda in a remote yeah and in the same way that having too many three for twos can warp a format having no three for twos can also warp the format um because if you have no fast advance or never advance threats, then you're forcing corpse to either play cards that gain them clicks or advancement counters just to enable them to never advance bigger agendas or fast advance bigger agendas, uh, or you're forcing them to play advanceable traps so that they can disguise their agendas. Because the game is never going to be balanced in such a way that runners can't get into servers. Um, so you have to have some other way for corpse to force the runners to make redundant runs. And making them run centrals to try and hit your agendas before you fast advance them is one of those ways. And making them uh, run unadvanced cards is another one of those ways. If the game just defaults to the runner only having to honour advanced cards in remotes, then as you say, it becomes a very dull game indeed. So the next card in the pack is Dedicated Response Team. (laughs) Now, I have to confess that probably for the first two years that I played Netrunner, I could not think of one possible use case for Dedicated Response Team. I was like, this card is has bamboozled me. I do not get how you're ever supposed to make this card work. Um, and then I realized one day in a light bulb moment, the interaction with Snare. And I was like, how did I miss that? It's literally in the core set. Um, and then loved, con- uh, well, con- consequently loved playing those two cards together in the Argus deck for a while. 
Um, unfortunately, I don't think the Argus deck is going to quite come back together in the same way that it did before. Film Critic's still in the format, but in general, I think the uh, the deck's not as good anymore. And that was really, I think, the only competitive deck where I've ever even come close to including DRT. So it's probably not going to make a huge splash on the competitive scene, but I have a soft spot for it because of that deck, and who knows, maybe we'll be able to dust it off again one day. Yeah, I hope so. I think it is an interesting card. Like, it does something at a very weird time, which is interesting from a rules perspective, and it also really makes you think, yeah, how how can I use this card to any effect? And those kind of cards really need to be in Netrunner, I think. Yeah. The next card is Caduceus, uh, which has been a solid piece of Wayland Ice. Probably got a little bit worse as Link has improved and as runner economies have improved. But now that we're possibly looking at a world where Corp and runner economies are a little more balanced again, and certainly the amount of credits floating around overall is lower, um, Caduceus probably has a shot at playability again, as one of Wayland's best centuries still, I think, certainly on the low-cost side. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree. I think that Caduceus, yeah, has not seen as much play recently as it has in the past, just because stopping power has become much more important now that most both sides have many more credits than they used to. Being able to sort of grind the runner's economy down really doesn't happen as much. So from that perspective... It will be interesting to see what happens to it in the post-rotation format, and I think it's a useful card to have around. Very cool. And the probably the biggest change in Wayland, uh, possibly up there with the other large changes in a corset context, not from a competitive metagame context, but from the when you pick up your corset and you play it against your partner, um, Scorched Earth going out is a, a huge change. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is worth talking about it from a corset experience standpoint rather than a competitive standpoint, just because, you know, I think Scorch's time in the competitive metagame has sort of passed to a large extent, but I do feel a bit sad because Scorched is one of the cards that a lot of people have said that made them feel like Netrunner is what it is that you have such a card that has you have a card that has such a huge impact on the game not only when it gets played from the corpse perspective but just from the runner seeing it it changes the way the game works entirely so while of course rotation is designed to have those moments I'm still sad to see it go and I hope that as a new player starting Netrunner, that experience isn't lost. Yeah, and really, Scorched Earth is the ultimate Johnny Spike card, um, to, to come back to a MTG analogy, which a lot of people are aware of, which is the sort of psychographics um, of the way people like to play their card games. And that is a mixture between the combo player and the all-out efficiency competitive player uh, who just wants to win Um, because it's obviously really powerful and it can allow you to win the game pretty much on its own uh, or you know it it in and of itself does enough to win the game but you need other cards to support it so it's that sort of combo element so I think it creates its own little puzzle for the corp um, in terms of how you design your deck 
to give you the most opportunities to play this game-winning card. And I think that's really cool for new players. I think it's possibly a miss in terms of FFG's thinking with this set to think that it delivers negative play experiences for new players. I mean, yes, it is uncomfortable if you don't know it exists and then you get killed by it. Maybe there are a couple of people who throw up their hands or flip the table at that point and say, I don't want to play this game anymore. Um, But I think that if people can just... If people do progress past that point, they read the card and they go, wow, that's really cool. Um, Let's swap sides and I'll play with this card now. As soon as that point happens and both players are aware of the card, I think it creates some really great opportunities for solving that puzzle on both sides. And it creates some really great moments of tension, but also a really different way that the runner has to be accountable to the corp. Um, It teaches people about economy. It says if you, as the runner, spend too many resources, and if I'm able to, as the corp, tax a few of your resources so you get slightly behind, I can actually just straight up kill you. Um, and I think that yeah creates some really interesting dynamics, so I'm sad to see it go. I will just say that it is impactful enough that I don't think FFG has just decided that it... I think that Scorched is... Hmm, what's the word? I think that Scorch is relevant enough to how the cost of experience goes that there must have been a lot of thought put into that and I don't mind the idea of, okay, Scorch has been present for new players for so long, let's change the experience up and see if we can usher in a new age of Netrunner because that is really what this product is doing. It's nothing else if not a big change. Uh, I guess really quickly um, before we wrap up, um, with the corp neutral changes, which is one one card in total. Um, Scorched Earth, in a competitive sense, I, I, one thing that struck me is that it's quite by rotating it out, it quite elegantly creates this division in tags and tag punishment between meat damage, which now requires two or more tags, and other NBN tag punishment, which in many cases only requires one tag. And I think that gives the designers some really good and interesting ways to design tag cards so that they can quarantine the tag punishment of being able to kill the runner from the tag punishment of being able to do other tricky NBN things uh, by giving the card either one tag or more than one tag. And having that switch that they can make in their design, I think, will give them a lot more flexibility and avoid a lot of the issues and the frustrations that Damon previously talked about when he was designing tagging cards that, ah, oh, damn it, all these cards just end up being used with Scorched Earth and Tag and Bag instead of doing these other cool tag punishment things. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, so the last card is a neutral corp card, and it's coming in and it's false lead. Um, now, given that hard-hitting news is probably going to be a pretty big player in the metagame going forward as a very, very high-powered corp card, um, false lead goes quite well with it. Um, it also has quite a few other interesting uses. How do you feel about False Lead being around, Wolfie? So, three for ones have always struggled for playability just because of how strong three for twos have been and how important it's been to get that extra point from your three advancement agenda. But False Lead is an interesting card in that, yeah, it combos with a lot of cards that are usually good on their own along with some cards that aren't so good on their own but it also just gives the 
cop a lot more flexibility to do things that you don't really see in decks other than those with false lead like I'm thinking about things with you know, weird tagging windows and it really forces the runner to play around it so I while I think that it might be a bit of a strange choice from for a corset just because of how impactful it can be on the game especially if you're just starting out I think it's a good card to have in the environment for sure hmm. very cool uh, well, we hope you've enjoyed our sojourn through the new core set, the revised core set, core set 2.0, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and we look forward to continuing to jam a whole lot of games with this format and potentially a new and exciting banned and restricted format very soon. I'm sure by the time this goes to air, we'll probably have an answer on whether that is or is not going to be our future. Uh, but in any, in any case, uh, thanks for listening. I've been Jesse Marshall here with Wilfie Horrig for The Winning Agenda. If you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us on Facebook at The Winning Agenda. You can tweet us at Winning Agenda. You can check us out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash The Winning Agenda. And very big thanks to all of our ongoing Patreon supporters. We very, very, very much appreciate your ongoing support. And even those who've subscribed in just the last couple of months, it's been really heartening for us um, to see new supporters coming on board to The Winning Agenda. What are we now? 138 episodes in. <laughs> so thank you all very, very much. Uh, and lastly, if you want to send us an email, you can send it to thewinningagenda at gmail.com and we will possibly even feature and discuss your thoughts on the next episode as we often like to do. Uh, so thanks for listening. I've been Jesse here with Wilfie Hurry. Thanks. Good night.